Badass of the Week is an iHeartRadio podcast produced by High Five Content. Paris, 1914. The rumble of artillery can be heard on the streets of France's capital. German forces are advancing so rapidly that the taxi drivers of Paris have been pressed into service. And now, rather than ferry Parisians to cafes and theater performances, they rush soldiers to the front lines of a war. In her laboratory at the esteemed Sorbonne University, Dr. Marie Curie looks at rows of equipment that now lay dormant. All of her graduate students have left to join the war effort. This was where she discovered two new elements, where she and her late husband laid the groundwork for the study and understanding of radiation, discoveries that would change the world forever. But for now, there is no research to be done. There is war. And Dr. Curie knows she can help. She is a double Nobel laureate, the only person in history to earn the award in two different scientific fields. But now she too is called to action. Using her advanced equipment and her unparalleled expertise with radiology, she and her 17-year-old daughter load up a truck with x-ray machines and radiation therapy equipment and head out to the front lines to help treat wounded soldiers. Professor Curie may be one of the most brilliant scientific minds in history, but today she is going to help defend her home and she promises to save as many lives as possible in the process. Hello, and welcome back to Badass of the Week. My name is Ben Thompson, and I am here, as always, with my co-host, Dr. Pat Larish. Pat, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you, Ben? I'm doing okay. I, uh, I know you are a high school teacher, and I had a question for you because I know the answer for me, but I was curious for you. What was your worst subject in school? Ooh, ooh, sensitive topic, kind of. <laughs> I, uh, None? You, you were know, just awesome was... at everything? You loved no, school no, no, and no, you, no, no. you committed 100% to every class. No, no, I no, I think it's just going back to that time in my life when I was awkward. I mean, I'm still awkward, but, you know, I was particularly awkward. I think I would have to say gym class, you know? Gym class, okay. Okay, uh, why, why was that? I don't know. I think... I didn't quite get it, you know, <laughs> like, okay, here we are and we have to change into our little gym shorts and whatever, and we have to do the things. And I think I never quite, okay, at that age, I never quite got the rationale behind it. Now, older, many decades later, I'm like, okay, yeah, we have to exercise and, you know, you know, we're, we're beings with bodies and we have to use them or I don't know, whatever. But at the time I was like, why are we doing this? This seems repetitive and kind of pointless. So yeah, I never really got into it. See, yeah. I have the opposite where, where at the time I was like, oh, people like this. So like, this is probably fun. I get to, my, I had a good friend, my friend Matt and I used to hang out at gym class. It was fun. But mm -hmm. for me, looking back at it now, many decades later, it's weird that gym class counted the same for your GPA as math, right? Ooh. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they have an equal weight for your GPA. It was weird for me because you had to change clothes at school. Yeah. Like I hated yeah. that. You had to go into a locker room with all your like idiot classmates and change clothes into these like gnarly gym clothes and run around. <laughs> okay, I guess. yeah. And they were pretty gnarly. Mm-hmm. And like there was a specific type of regulation gym short. Yeah. Uh, not, yeah. It's not flattering, not, not fun not to wear. Flattering, just, no. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Maybe that was a point. Maybe it was an equalizer. You know, everyone has to wear unflattering shorts. Yeah. It's just, just, we just, I don't know. Group humiliation. Yeah. <laughs> it's like boot camp. But, but so, I mean, and for me, so I went, I went to, to school in Florida. So for me, it's a hot and then you have to change back and you got to go back to class afterwards. Right. So, oh. so for me, Ugh. my worst class, the class I hated the most of any class I ever took in my entire school career was senior year physics, which was immediately mm. after gym class. So I'd have to go out and change and run around, which I, I, you know, I, I liked it enough, but it was oh, weird yeah. you had to change yeah. back into your regular I went to Catholic school, so I had school uniform. I'd change back into my school uniform, which was like long pants in Florida, and go back into class and try to understand the coefficient of friction while I'm like sweating and like. (laughs) Yeah, it it was awful. It was awful. I so, but for me, my worst, my worst class, grades wise and enjoyment wise, was physics. I disliked it intensely. It was the combination of two things I was bad at, math and science, and I didn't enjoy it and I never got it. My wife is a mathematician and she makes fun of me because she's like, oh, it's so easy. It just makes sense. But it did not make sense to me and it never has and it never will. <laughs> I cannot understand it and just it's completely lost on me and it will. there's no amount of YouTube videos I can watch that will explain to me how this works in a way that will track with my brain. (laughs) Yeah. Well, presumably it makes sense to mother nature. It clearly does because there is a very set law of things that the way the world works and that is the way the world (laughs) works and there's very little debate on it. But, um, but But, for me, yeah, physics, it was impossible. It was impossible. And it was like the, 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 the only time I ever got a D in high school was in physics. Oof. Yeah, it was, it was bad. I, yeah, I got in trouble and <laughs> I didn't like it. <laughs> but because physics is so difficult for me, I do have a respect for people who are good at it, I suppose. I want to just give a shout out to all of our physicist listeners. Yes, I have. Plural. I have friends that are gym teachers and I have friends that are physicists. And, yep. Um, <laughs> shout out to all of them. Yep. Yes. <laughs> Yep. And so we are we are going to talk about a physicist today and one of the all time titans of physics and chemistry. Another I actually liked chemistry better than I liked physics because it had less math involved. Uh-huh. But um, uh-huh. I guess all of this is kind of a caveat into me saying that the person we are going to talk about today, Madame Marie Curie, one of the most badass scientists to ever live. She was an amazing physicist, and I can appreciate that she is very brilliant at a thing at which I am very poor, but I just kind of want to caveat our listeners to say that I am not going to attempt to explain any of the physics things that she did in any level of detail, because 
I don't understand it and I never will. <laughs> and you know what? That's okay because we can tell her story and it's clear from her story without all the physics footnotes and diagrams and whatever that she's a badass. And even if one is not clear on the technical details, you can still roll with it. So let's tell the story of Marie Curie. Yes, we are going to get into the story of Marie Curie. She was a, a physicist, a chemist, a double Nobel laureate, which has never been done uh, between two different fields of science. She was a war hero. She was a humanitarian. Um, just when you think you know, badass scientist. There is so much more going on to the story that uh, is is really interesting and really exciting. Oh yeah, and, yeah. Uh, that I'm really excited to talk about, uh, and I think you guys are going to really enjoy the story. So we are going to take a really quick break. We're going to hear a word from our sponsors, and after that, we are going to get into the story of Madame Curie and her two Nobel prizes. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. At Consumer Cellular, you get the same exact coverage as the largest carriers, but for up to half the cost. Same thing, up to half the cost. Up to half the cost for the same thing. 50% the money for 100% the same thing. I hope I'm making myself clear. Consumer Cellular. When freedom calls, we're here to answer. Call us at 1-888-FREEDOM. Half the cost savings based on cost of Consumer Cellular single-line 5-gigabyte data plan with unlimited talk and text compared to lowest cost single-line postpaid unlimited talk text and data plan offered by T-Mobile and Verizon May 2023. Maria Sklodowska was born in 1867 in Warsaw, Poland, which at the time was part of the Russian Empire. We are talking about the partitions of Poland's time period where um, Poland was divided up between Austria, Prussia, and um, the Russian Empire. And her family was Polish and had been fairly wealthy in Poland, but lost their property and their money due to their involvement in being Polish nationalists and not wanting 
Russia and Austria and Germany to dominate their country. Um, being marked as a Polish nationalist was very hard for the Sklodowska family because it made it really hard for her parents to find work. They'd oh, both been, yeah. yeah, yeah, they'd both been teachers, um, and Maria and her sister kind of grew up being taught by her parents, but her parents were having a hard time finding work. They had no money. They they were struggling, um, whereas they had kind of been upper middle class in the glory days of of Poland. So. Maria and and her sister they are they're learning from their parents and Maria she has a real aptitude for physics and science and all of those other things that I mentioned in the open that I'm bad at. Um, yeah, and but we can appreciate other people being good at. I appreciate it more because it is so impossible for me to wrap my head around it that anybody who understands it is kind of like has attained this level of enlightenment that uh -huh. I will never achieve. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. So Maria, she went through school and she applied to the University of Warsaw, but the University of Warsaw didn't accept female students in, you know, the 1880s. This is the this is the the no girls allowed rule that we keep seeing come up every time we talk about anybody who lived before 1980. Mm -hmm. And yeah. um, and on top of that, her family has ties to nationalist organizations. Right, which is a bad look if you are in Warsaw, which is controlled by the Russians right now, and they don't like Polish nationalism because that's anti-Russian. <laughs> and so um, what they do is... Uh, so. You know, after after high school, Maria she goes to work in a factory. Her and her sister go to work in a factory, which is blue collar blue collar work. But they also get involved with this kind of secret underground free university they called it, which was like secret college. Ooh, so who went to secret college? Who went to the free university? So, so Maria Sklodowska, she's she's there, and she's not only learning there, but she's also tutoring the other women that she's working with in the factory. So she's working with these kind of blue collar women in this factory. This is eighteen eighty seven time period, and she is kind of tutoring these other Polish women in Warsaw about, hey, actually, like here's some Polish history stuff. Here's some political stuff. Here's some math knowledge. Here's some science. Here's some subversive stuff, right? Like knowledge is power and is sedition. And we are kind of, this is almost like proto, this is kind of revolutionary, right? It kind of is. Yeah. Yeah. And some of what she's doing is literally just teaching these women to read, which is powerful for them. It's very powerful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, honestly, teaching people to read in and of itself is badass. But this is Marie Curie, or Marie uh, Slodowska. She's got other interests, too. Yeah. What does she do? Yeah, so she's she's doing her best, right? She's learning from whatever tutors she can, like, secretly work with and she is secretly tutoring other women how to read and write and learn things but she wants do math and right, yeah yeah do math she wants but she wants more right this isn't she she knows that there's more out there and she wants it and she keeps applying to schools all throughout europe and when she's 24 she gets accepted into the sorbonne university in paris which is extremely prestigious university and they did take women students but it wasn't super common especially 
at age 24 because most people are going to college earlier. So she's entering the Sorbonne at a slightly older age than some of her classmates. And yeah, okay, fine. Honestly, probably gave her an edge. Yeah, I would think so. I was I was like a real dumbass when I went to college. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> if, if I had gone at 24, I think I'd have done a lot better. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, hindsight, you know, mm-hmm. whatever. Yeah. So yeah, but anyway, she's at the Sorbonne. She's doing her thing. She's getting educated. Yeah. So she gets into the Sorbonne and she is in, she's excelling in math and science. Uh, she is uh, very talented in those fields. She's progressing really well. And around this point, when she's at the Sorbonne, she's introduced to a, um, is introduced to a, a guy who is running a lab at a nearby university. And his name is Pierre Curie. He's a professor. He's 10 years older than Maria Sklodowska, and he is running this kind of little lab, but it's it's physics-based, and it's, it's pretty gritty what he's working on, and it's kind of in line with what she's working on. And they meet, and it goes well, and she starts working for him as a graduate student. Hey, good professional relationship. It's a it's a sort of a professional relationship. <laughs> it, it becomes more than a professional relationship. Um, okay, yeah. yeah as yeah. as, as yeah. you might imagine. Um, yeah. He goes to work in her lab. They start... Could you say that there was um, good chemistry between them? <laughs> you, you, you would say that there's good chemistry between them. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So, so Pierre and Maria, they are working together and um, things are going well. They're, they're a good team. They're working these long hours together. Their relationship starts to get, get closer. At some point, they become romantically involved. They get married. They have two daughters. Um, and this is where the Curie and Marie Curie comes from. Her name was Maria Sklodowska in Poland. But when she marries Pierre Curie, um, she takes she takes the French version of her name, Marie. Um, she never drops the Sklodowska when she's in her writings. So she always signs things as Marie Sklodowska Curie. Um, yeah, but, uh, she starts off as Maria Sklodowska. She keeps it. Yeah. 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 Um, because yeah, yeah. the Polish... Polish aspect of her heritage is very important to her and we as in, and to her parents and, you know, very close to home because that, you know, she grew up in an occupied country and this will come back again as we progress through the story. Mm-hmm. So Marie and, and Pierre, they're working together in this lab and their research is based around, and like I said, I'm, I'm not a physicist, but I will attempt to explain my understanding of their research. It's based around a technology known as the X-ray, which has been invented not too long ago by Wilhelm Röntgen, uh, who kind of identified X-rays. And then there was a French physicist named Henri Becquerel who discovered that uranium gave off similar waves to X-rays. So the Curies, they decided they were going to focus on this as part of their research. Um, Neither of them had their PhDs yet. Uh, Marie does encourage Pierre to go for his PhD and get it, which is pretty cool, um, working on this in in this field. Um, Pierre's is, is running kind of a small time lab and Marie is an immigrant 
uh, graduate student, they don't have a lot of money, right? They're struggling. They've got two kids. Um, they're working as teachers full time and spending their nights and weekends working in this basically homemade lab that they constructed. First, it was in an old storehouse and then it was in a shed. And they're just kind of working out of their garage, trying to like identify x-rays and figure out, you know, working with uranium in a in a garage, basically. Um, I think about, you know, the early Amazon or early Microsoft were like, they're kind of working out of their garage with long hair. Like literally and, you know, garages, yeah. Right, literally. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, so they have a full-time job as teachers, which I imagine took a lot of energy and whatever. And so uh, from the outside, the whole, hey, let's research uranium is a side hustle, but it's a side hustle that they're passionate about. Yeah, it's what they want to do. They're they're paying the bills with the teaching thing, but like what they want to do is research this stuff and they can't afford graduate students or supplies, materials. They can barely like feed themselves and their and their kids, right? Like oh, they're eating yeah. you know, the bare minimum of what they can, but, but, but the extra money is going into acquiring uranium, which apparently wasn't that difficult <laughs> in 1903. But <laughs> well, I mean, you know, we're talking is this is the time period when like tableware and like flower vases were made out of uranium just to get that cool kind of yellowish color. You is know? that, is like, that real? I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. Uranium glass. Yeah. 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 And it's cool because it's dishes or vases or like platters or whatever. And they're made out of um, glass and the glass has uranium in it. If you have ultraviolet light glowing on uranium glass, it's this cool kind of otherworldly, new, 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 like ethereal green color. Is it bad that I want to get some uranium glass now? <laughs> um, I mean, but yeah, like uranium wear is a thing. Um, yeah. So uranium it glass, was yeah. not difficult to obtain uranium in... No, no, it was a thing. That's even better because I assumed that they were like saving up money to buy this like special thing. But I guess nobody knew what radioactivity was at the time anyway. So it was just like, yeah, hey, whatever. This is uranium. Like it makes glass look cool. <laughs> you get extra buzzed if you drink a bunch of wine out of it. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. oh, wow. I, I'm I, I'm not going to try that one at home. <laughs> I'm weirdly tempted, but no, I don't think so. <laughs> uh, okay. I mean, okay. I, I have to say, if you're tempted to, like, just experiment and put yourself on the line, um, it's in keeping with the topic of today's podcast. Um, I'm not sure that I recommend it. I feel like I should say, Ben, don't do it. You know? You should say, Ben, don't do it. Yeah, I should definitely Ben, don't do, do it. Ben, don't do it. This is a bad idea. Yeah, yeah. Like, do it in your imagination. Yes. Yes, fair. Yeah. Okay. Fair. Anyway. Anyway, back to Marie Curie. Marie yes. Stradovska Curie. Yep. <laughs> okay. Point is um, that... I, I like this better because it even further proves that they had no money to speak of because uranium was extremely cheap to buy or whatever. It was relatively cheap to buy. You could go to a store and get your hands on it. 
bring it into your garage lab and kind of work on it there. Do a science on it. Right. Yeah. Nights and weekends, you stand up, you you teach until 6 p.m. You go home, you eat dinner, and then you go to the garage and you work on um, your great homework. And then you go into the garage and you work with uranium trying to like figure out how to separate these separate these things, no graduate students, no extra supplies. You're eating as cheaply as you can. Um, Zero grants. Yes, zero grants, no money involved here. Um, But these two together, they are able to somehow find a way to separate um, gamma rays from radioactive materials and kind of identify them separately. And they discover, in the process of doing this, they discover two new elements that uh, are, are completely new to science and physics and chemistry. They name them radium and polonium. So radium... And Pat, you probably know this better than me. It comes from, I, I read that it comes from the Latin word for ray. It does. Um, yeah. So there's a word in Latin, radius, which means uh, like a staff, like the sort of thing that, you know, the wizard Gandalf the Grey might walk around with, you know. Um, and that's the, I guess, the original meaning of the word. But the word radius then gets extended to mean like, say, the spokes of a wheel, so radius, like like radius, like like a radius. Yeah, of a radius. Circle. Yeah, like geometry and uh, the spokes of a wheel, things radiating out from a central point, and that also gets extended to mean the rays of the sun. Because if you imagine the sun emitting rays all over the place, so like a yeah, child draws it with yeah. the lines coming out of it. Oh yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, yeah, or yeah. the ancient Egyptians. You know, yeah. Okay, so radium comes from radius or radius. Uh, yeah. Polonium is a bit different. Polonium, Marie Curie named after Poland, uh, her home country, which you have to remember was not a country when she named it Polonium. <laughs> it was Pol- Poland was not a, did not exist as a kingdom or a country or anything. It was the the lands that we currently know as Poland had been divided between Austria and Germany and Russia and. Um, and so she named it polonium to highlight some of the problems with her home country. So she was able to kind of use her discovery of a new element as a way of like highlighting political issues, which is kind of interesting. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. And, you know, when we when we say the name Marie Curie now, everybody's like, oh, great scientist, whatever. But like one thing that we really need to keep in mind when we think about Pierre and Marie Curie discovering these two elements is that they literally, in the process of this, laid the groundwork for the entire field of nuclear physics using a setup that they basically dumpster dived out of the back of a Home Depot and set up in their garage with no assistance and no help and no nothing. Wow. Like Marie invents the word radioactivity to refer to the release of these x-rays or which we now know as radiation. And she was able to to kind of figure this out, like you said, as a hobby in her nights and weekends without getting with no money involved, no nothing, just kind of doing this because she wanted to see what would happen. Um, yeah, yeah. Remember, they're extremely poor at this point. And um, when they when they discovered it, they released all of the information that they discovered into the public domain without, um, oh. yeah, without having like, they didn't copyright any of it because they were like, you know, we want people to build off of 
the research that we've we've achieved here like we found something cool and we want you guys to work off it so they yeah let's share this with humanity right right and so they just released it and they didn't make any money off of this which is really interesting and the other thing to consider here is that like this research came at a great physical cost to them they didn't quite understand it at the time but Marie Curie lost 20 pounds during the course of his research and Pierre started suffering from you know he was getting dizzy and he was having some weakness in his 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 muscles and his joints and he was suffering from they were both suffering from what we would term today radiation sickness right yeah from our vantage point in 2024 and at the time at the time, people were drinking wine out of uranium glass, right? Like nobody knew what was happening. Nobody had figured this out yet. And maybe they wouldn't have if we hadn't had Marie Curie and Pierre Curie to like help identify yeah, this I feel stuff, like there's right? some sort of like circular time travel paradox, whatever. Anyway, but yeah, so it took a toll on them literally, like physically. Yeah. Physically, monetarily, emotionally. Um, they're both kind of suffering from exhaustion and depression in some cases. And it's, it's hard, right? But they are... But they find these two new elements and they discover radioactivity and they coin the term. And this is interesting. And, you know, what are the possibilities here? And once this is discovered, people start investing in them. Uh, companies start putting money into them to say, hey, where else can you go with this? Like you've discovered radioactivity, but like, what does that mean? How is there a way that we can profit off this? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. The age old question. Right. <laughs> uh -huh. And people start putting money into it, and the the Curies are now able to start growing their operations. Um, they their lab becomes part of the Sorbonne, and then in 1903, Marie Curie earns her PhD from the Sorbonne. So that makes her the first woman in French history to earn a doctorate. That's true. Yeah, from a French right. university. Yeah, yeah, which pretty awesome. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. Later that same year, 1903, she and Pierre received the Nobel Prize in Physics. So that's a pretty good year. I don't think there's a lot of people that got their yeah. PhD the same year that they got the Nobel Prize in that field. I feel like that's rare. Probably not. <laughs> I think it's rare. It's a solid thesis paper. <laughs> uh, very solid. Yes. Um. Yeah, so she in the same year she became the first woman in France to ever be awarded a doctorate and the first woman in the world to receive a Nobel Prize in any discipline. Um, and it is really important to keep in mind here that Madame Curie is winning the Nobel Prize in 1903 and winning, I, I always feel like whenever I say somebody won the Medal of Honor, people get mad at me because you didn't win it, you earned it. Right. Okay. Yeah. yeah so yeah. she earned the Nobel Prize in 1903, which is a year that most women in the world couldn't vote or own property. Yeah. Which is wild, right? 1903. <laughs> and here she is getting this international honor for her intellectual contributions to humanity. Yeah. Yeah. But she can't vote. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> uh. <laughs> She, she will. She'll be vote. able to vote in her lifetime. Okay. Okay. She can't <laughs> vote at the moment, but she can do science. Yes. Yes. And so things are looking pretty good for the Curies. They are, they, they, they earn the, the prize together. So the, the Nobel prize in physics in 1903 goes to both of them. Um, and they, they've got some funding. They've got a lab that's kind of up and coming. 
Um, things are looking up for them for now. And it's going to take a little bit of a turn when we get back from this oh. break. Um, and uh -oh. we're going to see what happens with that. So yeah, stick around. <laughs> BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbionica is your solution to great-tasting, all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or toxins. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbiotica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbiotica.com. C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A dot com. Okay, so we are coming back to the story of Marie Curie and Pierre Curie. They are... A, they were a hardworking couple that had were very interested in physics, had worked really hard, very devoted to what they were doing, um, had struggled through some really hard times, but then made these discoveries. They discovered the elements radium and polonium. They discovered radioactivity. And um, in 1903, they, they walked up together to receive the Nobel Prize in physics. Things are looking good. Funding is coming in. Money is good. And then in 1906, Pierre is run over by a horse-drawn carriage in the street and dies unexpectedly out of nowhere. Oh, no. Oh. Just. Bam. That's just a thing that happens. I guess nowadays you get hit by a bus, but in 1906, you get run over yeah. by a horse-drawn carriage. And just out of nowhere. Nobel laureate walking down the street in Paris. That's it. Bam. Done. Bam. Yeah. Awful. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, Pierre had been awarded the chair of physics at the Sorbonne, which passed to Marie, um, making her the first female professor at the university. And she now is the sole 
heir of this, the sole person to keep this project running. And Okay. She's the PI. She's the principal investigator. Yes. And she decides that like her quest for the rest of her life is going to be, you know, she loved Pierre very much. And it was, it's going to be to like, let's continue our work and not let this get forgotten because like part of the team went down, right? Let's keep this going and see where it goes. I mean, she's she's committed to this, you know. Even before she met Pierre, she was committed to science. Right, right. She was dedicated. She was like, I'm doing this. Yeah, yeah. we're doing this cool thing and she's going to keep going, right? And she's going to keep going and she's going to build this radium institute that she wants to build. Um, she's going to build sites in Paris and in Warsaw and in the future she will do that, but she starts working on it now, right? But this is a hard time period for Marie Curie. She's a single mother now of two daughters. She's a widow. She's working as a professor. She's trying to build these labs and institutes. Um, uh, she also apparently like taught her daughter's science class once a week in like elementary school, which that would be kind of an interesting thing to have Marie Curie be your high school science teacher or whatever. <laughs> um, That's kind of awesome, actually. I mean, yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, teaching younger ages is... You have to know your science, but there's also a whole set of skills with classroom management and whatnot. Totally yeah. different thing, right? It's a totally totally other thing, thing yeah. than teaching yeah. college students. <laughs> and so she's doing all of this. She's still working in the lab. She has some graduate students and stuff where we can help her now, but like it's not not a ton, right? She's still trying to build this up. Um, it's difficult. She starts suffering from depression. She starts having kidney problems. She's still suffering from some of that radiation damage, which we now know is radiation damage, but at the time, yeah. hadn't in been hindsight, quite diagnosed we know, like, mm, yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. at one point she collapses uh, and has to be hospitalized, but she pushes on. Uh, she gets back on her feet. She gets back on the horse. She keeps teaching classes. She keeps training her daughters in, in science and teaching her daughter's class. And she keeps trying to build up that and try to try to find funding for the for the for the lab and, you know, doing all of the academia stuff. And mm -hmm. in, there's probably a lot of paperwork involved. Tons of paperwork involved. Yes, you got to show <laughs> I'm sure, your work. Yes. yes, yeah. And so, five years after the death of Pierre in 1911, Marie Curie wins another Nobel Prize. This time for chemistry rather than physics. Wow! So she becomes the first person of any gender to win two prizes in two different fields, and to this day, she remains the only human who has ever won for two different sciences. There's been a couple of people since then who have won two awards, but generally they win in their field and then they win the Peace Prize or whatever, right? Ah, but, okay. Um, okay. Or they win two in the same field, but she she earned it in chemistry and physics, which two different fields has never been done before or since by man or woman. Yeah. <laughs> um, and her family ends up becoming very famous for their Nobel Prize contributions because she and Pierre each got the physics one, she gets the chemistry one. Her daughter, who she's been teaching her class, her daughter Irene, ends up um, becoming a, a Nobel laureate in chemistry later on as well. Oh, yeah. Irene Juliot-Curie, she discovers that radioactive atoms could be created artificially, apparently. Her 
son-in-law, that is to say the husband of her second daughter, Ev, Eve, gets a Nobel Peace Prize. And this is a guy named uh, Henry Labuis. And he did a lot of things. And he was, among other things, the executive director of the UNRWA from 1954 to 1958, which is a way of saying he did a lot of work with Palestinian refugees. But what got him the Nobel Prize was that he was the director of UNICEF. And in 1965, the Nobel Peace Prize was awarded to UNICEF, of which Marie Curie's son-in-law was the director. Yes. And so because Irene earned the chemistry award with her husband, now the Curies as a family between Pierre Marie, Irene, her husband, and Henry Labuisi, they there are five Nobel laureates in the Curie nuclear family, which is just blows away the record for any other family. There are other families that have two. Generally, it's a, either a husband and wife or two brothers. Um, yeah. But or father son or whatever. But like, yeah, yeah. Nobody yeah. has yeah, three, yeah. Parent, and they got five. Parent child. Yeah. <laughs> and then you said nuclear family. I feel like that's a science joke. I yeah, I did that on purpose. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. You know. And so that's that's very curious. And there, there's a story that I, I do want to mention. Um, around the time that Marie Curie is 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 earning the the Nobel Prize in Chemistry, around that time, 1911, there is a story circulating that Marie Curie has been sleeping with one of her graduate students. Um, mm. And yeah, yeah, the graduate student yeah, had been a graduate okay. student of Pierre's, yeah. and yeah. he was he was married, although they'd been separated for a while. But it was kind of scandalous, you know. In my mind, the like Marie Curie with her graduate student is a little like sexier than you know the fact that the guy was Paul Langevin, the creator of Langevin dynamics and the Langevin equation. Like he's only like a couple years younger than hers. It did cause quite a scandal in 1911. And, um, and, uh, because, because 1911, uh, and the Nobel prize committee advised Marie Curie not to come receive the prize in person because it would be too, too scandalous. Oh, okay. They don't have much experience, do they? Okay. On the one hand, okay, like it's 2024 and do not sleep with your grad students. That's like a bad idea. Um, but this is 19, what is this, 1911? Mm. And it's like, okay, honestly, Nobel Committee, what are you thinking? <laughs> I mean, what do you think Marie did? <laughs> I'm guessing she just kind of sauntered on over and said, <laughs> why, thank you. I will receive my Nobel Prize. <laughs> You're damn right she did. Because <laughs> this is Marie Curie. And, you this know, is Marie Curie. Yeah. And, and yeah, this yeah. is a thing that we haven't talked about yet, but that is very central to the story of Marie Curie, which is that the French government and the French people never fully accepted her as French, even though, you know, she, she'd kind of moved there at 24. She never left. Most of her great achievements had come in France. But she had this very complicated relationship with France where she had 
been denied access after being a double Nobel laureate, she had been denied access onto like the French Academy of Sciences. And in in the media and amongst politicians and you know people talking, she was always kind of portrayed as this like foreigner, this outsider. She was a Polish immigrant. She wasn't one of us, you know, very Parisian, I guess. But like you know, she never felt accepted or was accepted by by the French or by Paris, uh, except for when she was receiving Nobel prizes, and then she was a great hero in France because yeah, you know, it's like whatever. whoa, go yeah, team, go France, but, yeah, but she's not one of us, right? And so she had this kind of complicated relationship with with France, um, and and even in her home country, she's not wanted Poland to be its own country and that didn't work for yeah. the Germans and the Austrians and the Russians. And, you yeah, know, that was, was not kind of happening at there. the moment. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So she was kind of used to being on the outside. And so Nobel prize committee telling her not to come pick up her award or, or whoever it was that told her not to come pick up the award. Just, yeah. Yeah. You, she's like a la la la. Yeah. Doo, you, can stick it, right? you know what? I'm doing this for science. Or I'm doing this for me. Uh, I don't care. I'm picking up my award. You're not gonna. You you, you are gonna have to arrest me on stage. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. You are gonna have to throw me out of that building, and that's gonna be embarrassing for you. <laughs> mm. So, as much as you know, we kind of just said she wasn't particularly patriotic for France. In 1914, World War One begins in Europe, and the early battles of World War I go very badly for France. We are, and Marie Curie is operating in Paris, which, uh, oh, yeah. yeah. So in the early days of, of World War I, the Germans got very, very close to taking Paris early, early in the war. There's a famous story where all of the taxis in Paris were mobilized to literally ferry troops from the barracks to the front lines. And so we are, we are in Paris in 1914. There are like, you can hear the artillery from where she's at and the graduate students that are working in her lab, they have to leave to go fight in the war, right? They're mostly men and they are leaving to go fight and serve their country in the war. Right. And Marie Curie, who remember like, you know, she was never really fully accepted. That doesn't matter to her, right? She is French as far as she's concerned, and she's going to help in this scenario any way that she can. So how does a Nobel award-winning physicist slash chemist help in the war effort? Well, France needs money. And what does she do? She offers both of her golden Nobel Prize awards to France to be melted down and used in the war effort to pay for things. They deny it. They say, no, they're not going to take her Nobel Prizes. They're not going to melt her Nobel Prizes down. But she offers. Um, But what she does is Nobel Prize also comes with an award of a million dollars. And so she uses that money, all that money that she gained from those two awards uh, that she had left, that she hadn't already put into her research. She puts those into the war effort. Um, And the way that she chooses to do this is by literally going to the front lines herself. So to do what? So Marie Curie. And 17-year-old Irene, Irene is, is she's 17 now. She, Her daughter. We've, we've said yeah. she's going she's gonna to win the Nobel Prize or earn the Nobel Prize later on. But yeah. um, Spoilers. Yeah. Yeah. But she, they get in a mobile radiation therapy truck 
and they drive to the front lines. And so what Marie Curie does during World War I, one of the most bloody and brutal wars in human history, is she sets up stations. You remember she, she knew about x-rays and she had technology to take x-rays. And that was not a common thing in the world at the time. So she can set up mobile stations and fixed stations. She sets up all told 20 mobile trucks, like x-ray trucks, and 200 fixed hospitals that can do x-ray radiation, um, whether that is to identify broken bones, um, reset broken bones, or at some point she starts using gamma radiation to alleviate the pain from battle-wounded soldiers. So that's kind of kind of uh, chemotherapy, right? Right. It's the basis of chemotherapy is where that wow, kind of comes from. Yeah. You know, it, we realized that the, 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 you know, it was later learned that the, the radiation from that is, is actually kind of messes you up, but it does alleviate pain. But this is the basis of chemotherapy. This is where chemo comes from. And, um, she, in the process, she also ends up training. She she becomes the director of the Red Cross Radiology Service. Which is now a thing. I mean, there was a point where there was not a Red Cross Radiology Service. Yeah, she invents it and becomes a director of it. She trains hundreds of women how to operate radiology equipment, whether that's IDing x-rays or broke, breaking broken bones or, or various other things that you can do with radiology. Um, and at some point later on, she's granted the Legion of Honor from the French government for her service during the war. How did that go over with her? Because she refused it. But oh, she got it. Okay. It was awarded yeah. it and said no. Yeah. Because, like we said, it was complicated. <laughs> the Legion of Honor had only been awarded to her after other governments had awarded medals to her. So she'd earned medals for bravery in World War One from England and the US. And then France was like, well, actually, we should probably get in on this. They gave her the Legion of Honor. She said no. Jumps on the bandwagon. You can keep it. You can put it somewhere. <laughs> mm -hmm. Where the sun don't shine. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. So World War I ends and Marie Curie, um, she goes back to her research after the war is over. Uh, she serves in the medical service through the war. Afterwards, she goes back um, and she starts, she continues working with radioactive materials. And at some point it becomes clear that this is harmful, right? This is not like working with radiation is going to be hazardous to your health. She realizes it and she kind of realizes it. I mean, from it, 2024, we're kind of waiting for that shoe to drop. Right, right. So she figures it out. But here's the interesting bit of it is that she realizes it, but she also figures like, I think it's too late for me. It might not be too late for everybody else. So she starts implementing procedures to, to kind of mitigate exposure, radiation exposure for other people yeah. studying this stuff. Yeah. So this consists of lead barriers, lead shields. I mean, lead, it's lead. It blocks radiation, you know? And she encourages researchers that she works with to go and get their blood tested. And she also says, go outside and get fresh air. And honestly, that's good advice, even if you're not working in a radiation lab. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. It's just good for your mental health. <laughs> yes, touch grass. Yes. yes. Marie Curie says, touch grass. Yeah. Yeah. But the lead, the working behind lead barriers was a Marie Curie thing. 
So every time I go to the dentist and they take x-rays and they have me put on that lead apron, that's ultimately due to Marie Curie, Marie yeah. Sadowska Curie. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. but for Marie Curie, she's kind of decided that she's, she's already been exposed enough. Like there's nothing I can do. Like by the time it becomes obvious that radiation is harmful, her take on it is like, I'm probably already as damaged by this as I can be. Uh, and so she decides she's going to take one for the team and you can find her, it, you could find her towards the end of her life, like inner goggles in radioactive material, arms deep in radioactive material, um, and working with basically, you know, those hockey players that didn't wear helmets kind of thing, right? Like the okay, old school yeah. hockey guys. So she's raw dogging it. Yeah. Right. Yes. And she, yeah. you know, she, of oh. course, like she, she wore like a gram of radium around her neck for most of her life. Like that was, uh, a, you know, a thing that reminded her of Pierre Curie. Right. And, um, yeah. And so she, she does of course succumb to it. She dies of, uh, of, of an illness that is almost certainly radiation related. Uh, she dies in 1934 at the age of 66. But what a 66 years it's been. Right. She grew up in, a, yeah. in like a, a, you know, a, she lived in poverty for long periods of her life. She worked with radiation for most of her life. She survived a war, right? She lived to be 66. That ain't bad. Yeah. And she went out and helped with the war. Right. She was on the front lines of a war and, you know, and 66 years old for anybody in 1934 is pretty good. Too, yeah. Right? Let's be fair. Yeah. Let's be fair. Yeah. It's, it's not nothing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It, it, yeah, here's, yeah. here's the thing. Here's a bit I love about her is that everything in her home had been so exposed to radiation that even today it has to all be stored in lead boxes. Literally, you can't even handle her cookbooks without wearing protective anti-radiation gear. Wow. Okay. So that's a thing to keep in mind when you deal with the Marie Curie archives. Yes. Yeah. Hazmat yeah. gear. Hazmat gear. Yep. Yeah. Well, nuclear, biological, it, chemical, <laughs> whatever that, mm -hmm. that full yeah, suit, yeah, that yeah. full Monsters Inc. suit. Uh -huh. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, so, yeah. I mean, she was committed to her project. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yes, she passes away at age 66. She and Pierre are now interred in the Pantheon in Paris. She was the first, in the way it's described, the, the you know, they have all these weird technical terms for how you describe the first of something. She is the first woman interred in the Pantheon because of things that she did during her life not the wife of a person, but she did the thing. For her own achievements. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So that's pretty cool. <laughs> that is. Yes. So her research is interesting because in basically discovering radiation and radiotherapy and all of this, her research led not only to chemotherapy, but also to atomic bombs. So that's kind of like a that's an interesting duality. Yes. <laughs> of yes. Her one research. saves lives. One doesn't. Yeah. yeah. Okay. The Curie is now the name of the standard unit of radiation, and the radioactive element curium is named after her. 
So she got to name radium and polonium, and then she got a third element named after her. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Uh, you can find her name on various science awards, nuclear power stations, universities, research institutes, and charitable organizations. And yeah. in 2011, it was the year of chemistry in the world. This is one of these UN, like year of attitude kind of things. Um, and Poland decided that if it was going to be the year of chemistry, it should be the year of Marie Curie. <laughs> And so they declared 2011 the year of Marie Curie in Poland. So Poland, her her homeland. Which was a country in 2011, which it was not when she left there at age 24. Yeah. And so yeah. that's pretty cool. Yeah. Marie Curie. Marie, Marie Zdrowska Curie. Yes. Yes. Well, that is our story for today. Um, it's a little different. We don't have a lot of death and destruction and mayhem we do have a little bit of world war one but um but it's badass, radioactive it's radioactive it's a badass scientist and we haven't done one yeah. of those yet and we should yeah. yes <laughs> so that is our story for today thank you guys so much for listening um we really appreciate you and we're glad for all the support that you guys give us and uh we really hope that you will keep listening and you'll stick with us on the next one so thank you so much and we will see you next time Stay badass. Badass of the Week is an iHeartRadio podcast produced by High Five Content. Executive producers are Andrew Jacobs, me, Pat Larish, and my co-host, Ben Thompson. Writing is by me and Ben. Story editing is by Ian Jacobs, Brandon Fibbs. Mixing and music and sound design is by Jude Brewer. Special thanks to Noel Brown at iHeart. Badass of the Week is based on the website badassoftheweek.com, where you can read all sorts of stories about other badasses. If you want to reach out with questions, ideas, you can email us at badasspodcast at badassoftheweek.com. If you like the podcast, subscribe, follow, listen, and tell your friends and your enemies if you want, as we'll be back next week with another one. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Infinity Presents, a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. When you're an American Express Platinum Card member, don't be surprised if you say things like, Chef, what course are we on? I've, I've lost count. Or, Shoot that, shoot that! And even... Checkout's not until 4, so... Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants, elevated experiences at live events, and 4 p.m. late checkout at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview, Great Falls, offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. 
equal housing opportunity. Are you self-conscious about your smile due to stains? Have you ever wished that you had a whiter and brighter smile? Smile Actives is a safe and affordable alternative to expensive whitening procedures. You simply add Smile Actives gel to your toothpaste every time you brush your teeth, making it the easiest teeth whitening solution out there. In a clinical trial, Smile Actives users reported up to five shades whiter on average, all within seven days. No change to your routine, no extra time. Right now, they are running a buy one, get one offer. Hurry to smileactives.com iHeart today to receive this special offer with free shipping and handling.